Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. If dreams are messages from the unconscious mind, then knowing how to work with them can yield amazing results. Dr. Michael Lennox is the author of two books on this topic and a new book, Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams, that was just released. He's here today. We're going to talk all things dreams, dream interpretation, and the value of knowing what your unconscious mind has to offer. Are you ready to meet him? Psychologist, astrologer, and dream expert Dr. Michael Lennox has been helping people gain a deeper understanding of their unconscious mind for more than 20 years. He's appeared on many network and cable television shows and on hundreds of radio shows talking about the power of dreams. Michael is the author of Dream Sight, a dictionary and guide for interpreting any dream, and Llewellyn's Complete Dream Dictionary. His new book, Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams, was just released. Dr. Lennox leads workshops and retreats all over the U.S. and conducts a worldwide private practice that's based in Southern California. You can find out more about Michael and his work at michaellennox.com. Michael, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be here. Wonderful. I'm glad you're here. Are dreams really a message from our unconscious mind? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I say that because I, I like to be, you know, cute and flippant. Um, but I always want to answer questions like this with the first and foremost answer, which is, I don't know. How would I know? It's a mystery. That's the beauty of all of this work is that it's a mystery. And we are empowered to live with that mystery. So if there's an unconscious mind, we, we believe that it's so, but it's really unconscious, meaning it's untenable, untouchable. It's the part of us, I think the greater part of us, that is not knowable. And so it's something that we, as conscious beings or beings of consciousness, have an opportunity to grapple with, to play with, to dance with. And one of the best ways of doing that is through our dreams. So let's say for the sake of argument and the answer to that question, let's say that the unconscious mind speaks to us through our dreams and we, if we choose to, can look at those narratives that are emerging out of the unconscious in the dream state and declare that, yes, we are interacting with our unconscious mind. And since it's the greater part of us, much, much greater part of us, I think it's the part of us that's worth listening to. How do we know if dreams then are, are that narrative, those messages coming to us from the unconscious mind, how do we know what to listen to and what to discard? My personal experience around that is that in the beginning of, in, of, of turning towards one's dreams as a, a sort of a tool and a practice, everything is worth looking at because it's like learning a new language. You want to just immerse yourself in that process. 
And one of the best ways to do that would just to be to throw yourself into the fray, like moving to another country where you don't speak the language. Everything that comes at you is going to come at you in that language. So why not do the same thing? The unconscious speaks in its language, the language of symbol. And so I think in the beginning, it's worthy of investigating any and every dream that comes up simply to open up the channel of connection. So if someone is coming to me for the first time exploring dreams, I would say write every single one down. And don't be concerned about, oh, is this the right one? Is this the important one? What eventually will happen over time and spending time in this ongoing dialogue is you will begin to discern between a dream that feels important and one that feels insignificant and the the, the telling sort of uh, experience will be the sensation. You will, you will know, you will feel a sense of importance, maybe because one is more emotionally heightened or maybe it sticks in your mind with a particular vividity that, that, that you would then declare, this must mean more or have more significance because it's just not going away. It sounds like you're talking about how through... Um becoming accustomed to through that practice of remembering your dreams, honoring your dreams, writing everything down, recording your dreams, that you can build a sort of filter to better catch and understand the messages. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm suddenly using this analogy of learning a new language. Imagine going to a new country and immersing yourself in the language the last thing that's going to happen, I think, for that person learning the language is going to be the ability to know when someone is telling a joke. Huh. Like the joke suddenly becomes a subtle use of language to make a point. Similarly, dreams. It's like every dream is going to feel compelling when you first start writing them down because they're just so dang fascinating. And then after a while, when you become more accustomed to what it's like to consider them and the narrative voice of your dreams becomes something that you're familiar with, you will begin to organically and naturally have a sensation response to a dream that feels more important than one to another. But I, I think that any and every dream is a valuable to consider because it's, it's, a, it's an unconscious conversation. You don't really have to land on something that is exact and perfect as an interpretation in order to be opening up the valuable interaction between conscious and unconscious mind. It is, after all, an unconscious experience. It's going to be the value of it is sort of an artifact as opposed to a direct hit. You have a, a long reputation as a very skilled interpreter of dreams, starting when you were a, a kid. Yeah, teenager, absolutely. When someone brings a dream to you and, and lays it out, you then are kind of, they're bringing their language to you to kind of come in and translate. What are some of the things that you look for when you're interpreting someone else's dream? How can you come into something that's not your own and and still find the find the right things. The beauty of symbolic language is that the meaning behind a symbol is built into it. It, 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 it the, the thing itself, the object or the animal or the, the room or the building or the, you know, the, the geographical location has this, the meaning that's built into it by virtue of what it is, what it's, what it does, what it's, you know, uh, use is like if, if you dream about a refrigerator, well, 
we know what the universal meaning of refrigerator is because it does a very specific thing. It keeps a small unit of space at a very cold temperature. That's that's what its use is. It's got a further sort of distinction of its essence, which is to preserve. We, we keep that little unit of space colder because that preserves certain food that we wish to, you know, ultimately consume for our nurturance and our benefit. So that's what a refrigerator does. So there's a symbolic meaning behind the refrigerator, which is my ability and desire to preserve something important. So I'm listening for a storyline that is told in the language of symbols, and then I simply tell the story back to the dreamer in language that's not symbolic in nature, but, but didactic or linear. So if they open up the refrigerator in their dream and there inside it is the disembodied head of their sixth grade, sixth grade science teacher, <laughs> they're just thinking, oh my God, what a freaky dream. But in fact, if I ask, well, what, what was your teacher like? Oh, that was one of my favorite teachers ever. You know, she was so, you know, supportive and, 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 and made things exciting to me. That's like, oh, now the dreamer is dreaming of the idea of preserving a certain voice in their head that is one that is supportive and nurturing about new ideas and exploring new territory. So then the dream opens up. So what I'm listening for is the story behind the story based on stringing together the universal meanings of the symbols that tell that story. And is that part, by the way, that's how I feel about the intuitive work that I do. I'm listening for the question behind the question. I'm taking Mm. something that comes to me one way and turning it, I think with the help of my guides and intuition, turning it into something I can give back to the person so they can understand it. So it's a, it's fascinating. You and I are kind of, there's a, there's a similarity there. That, which doesn't surprise me at all. That's very cool. Um, Certainly, as an intuitive, don't you receive some of your information in symbolic imagery? Enormous amounts in symbolic yeah. imagery. So yeah. yeah, you're just, so oh, well, what might that mean if I were to consider the symbol as having meaning? Yes. So and, yeah, it really is in some ways the same act. And in fact, I think that because my work is largely intuitively yeah based that I have an ability as an interpreter to be a little bit more exacting and specific for dreamers that is alarming Mm. to the to the dreamers in fact I having a doctorate in psychology I was you know trained as a psychotherapist in which what I did was considered verboten you know and therapists aren't supposed to tell their clients what dreams mean (laughs) you're supposed to create an atmosphere where the client decides what the dream means for them. Ah. I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> they, they just sort of sit there and go, wait a minute, tell me what it means. And then when I do, when I do it through my gift, my intuitive gift and my understanding of the symbolic language, when I do that, the response is very satisfying. And uh, uh, people feel uh, um, you know, like they've learned something that feels important to them personally uh, because it's a gift that I have and I, I inhabit it like that. I would not want other therapists to do what I do um, because they're, they, you know, I'm doing it through the portal of my gifts. But one of the things that I find myself having to do a lot of out there in the world is help people recognize that even though what I do with a dream and a dreamer has an exacting kind of landing that's satisfying, I don't want 
to then instill or encourage the idea that that's the only way to have a satisfying uh, you know, interaction with you and your dreams because then no one would be able to have that experience. They'd be like, I need Michael Lennox. But you don't. <laughs> I think that dreams, it's really important for me to convey this next idea that I'm about to say, which is any dream that is considered by the dreamer in any fashion, even as simple as just remembering it, opens up a dynamic dialogue between unconscious and conscious mind that I think is very valuable to any act of self-investigation. So I'm hearing you say that self-knowledge and that an opening up to a deeper under, maybe not even just of ourselves, but of where we are on our spiritual journey, where we are on our path, where we are in life, that it opens up that dialogue that then enhances our lives. Yes, absolutely. It, 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 even if it's that it opens us up, you know, something that we're having that's a private experience between ourselves and ourselves in, in, in the dream world, very intimate, very private, very internalized, hopefully is landing for the dreamer as practice in what it's like to behold life events, waking life events with a similar kind of reverence for the mystery, reverence for the intuitive, reverence for the, oh, there's something greater that's going on here, whether you call it the unconscious mind or the spiritual world, and it's speaking to us on a regular basis. I think I, when I use the term unconscious, I'm referring to everything. I'm referring to God, imagination, creativity, the literal unconscious, where dreams land, where things come from, where ideas are born, because I, I think it's just a rich word that represents everything that's in uh, uh, the mystery. And uh, dreams is just like, a, 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 like a going to the, the gym to strengthen the musculature of you appreciating that there's information available everywhere. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Lennox. His newest book is The Wellens Little Book of Dreams, and you can find out more about Michael and his work at michaellennox.com. So that, that, that common language that we share, how can, does that explain how there are certain types of dreams that we all have, the naked dream, the falling dream, the being chased dream, the showing up late for the test and not knowing what the test is about? Is that why we all have those same kind of dreams, even though the details are difficult, dif different for each of us? Absolutely. We are all connected, and that connection is much greater than the illusion of separation. So there are different ways of either describing this or, you know, holding it as a belief system. Um, so... They're different, you know, you know, the, 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 the new agey people, which I include myself as one of them, talk about unity consciousness and the idea that we're all connected. But Jung was talking about this 150 years ago, about this idea. Uh, he codified the term the collective unconscious. He recognized that there was this way in which all human beings were connected, and he did this because, or he, he was able to you know, language this, because he noticed that the dreams were the same, and where this happened was by traveling to Africa. So he was a Swiss physician, you know, working with sort of upper-middle-class Swiss folk who were being, you know, uh, chased in dreams. 
And he traveled to Africa, which today would be nothing, but for someone in 18-whatever, that was a big deal to sort of go to the far reaches of the globe. And he found that the indigenous First Nations people of Africa that he met were having the same dreams of being chased. Now, of course, in Swiss, Switzerland, it was, you know, bankers. (laughs) (laughs) And it was tigers in Africa, but it was the same being chased, falling, flying, uh, uh, that, 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 and this was a remarkable, remarkable connection between different uh, sort of factions of the human condition that back then seemed very different, very separate, um, you know, in different geographies and different cultures and different actual ways of life. But uh, it is through this idea of shared dreams and this idea of the collective unconscious that we first began as a, as a kind of unified, you know, academic global, you know, uh, consciousness through the, the realms of psychology that we began to recognize, oh, no, 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 we are way more connected than we are separate. And dreams are the great leveler. They don't know from class. They don't know from race. They don't know from geography. They reflect the unity and the unified consciousness of this thing that might be called the planetary being that we're all a part of. And yet, oh, that's so interesting because, yes, and they also can come in with tremendous specificity, things that would only mean something to me, for example. That's right. So that's... That's right. Wow. When, as we're thinking about, okay, I want to go a little farther with this, I want to dive into this new language, how can we start to remember, remember our dreams? It's a spiritual practice, isn't it? Well, ultimately, it's a spiritual and energetic practice because if if you don't have the intention and the desire, then it's not likely to, to occur. And so we think of setting intentions as a spiritual energetic practice, uh, which is fine if that's how you, you know, if that's, if that speaks to you. Um, but everything, of course, starts with intention, and intention is powerful. So the first tip would be set the intention. What does that even mean? That means... While you're preparing for sleep, part of your experience of preparing for sleep ought to include a mental focus in the direction of the desired outcome. For some people, it's helpful to write it down like a letter. Dear unconscious mind, please send me some vivid dreams and help me remember them in the morning. The second most important piece after setting the intention is you need to make the uh, the technology that you need to record the dream available as immediately as possible. So if it's a pad and a pen and you're going to do it the old fashioned way, or it's your iPhone or a recording device, have that device next to your bed. Dreaming consciousness takes place in one area of the brain and the other area of consciousness that is the waking mind, the part of us that's naturally oriented towards time, space, and identity, that part of the mind and brain is very, very loud and drowns out the part of the brain where dream memory is being expressed, right? So we wake up and we have that, what are the first thoughts? Well, my first thoughts are always, I need to go to the bathroom and I need a cup of coffee and I need a glass of water. Um, 
So we, we want to have access to the thing that we're going to record the dreams with at our fingertips right by our bedside so that we don't activate that waking mind that orients itself to time, space, and identity. And the third and most important piece is go to that recording device no matter what, even if there hasn't been an actual vivid dream memory, write something down anyway, even if what you have to write down is, I don't remember anything from last night, and then give yourself a moment and just sort of sit quietly and still to see if anything pops up. This last piece, I think, is the most important piece because the one voice is very loud, the waking voice, and the sleeping voice, if you want to call it that, is very soft. And part of what we're training ourselves to do is to keep that window open a little longer. And sometimes the dream memory is there in this very fuzzy way that you're going to declare that you don't really remember something, but there might have been a clown and a cupcake. So you write that down. You're literally training yourself to listen to one area of the brain and quiet another area of the brain that's typically very loud. And if we don't, if we skip that step waiting for the big inspiring dream, we're going to miss it. It may, it, may ne- it may never come. So that third step is, I think, the most important one. And it's the same with other kinds of spiritual practice. I think it's the, I come to the cushion even if I don't have something. I come to the whatever it is, my walking meditation. I come to the class. I come to the moment of prayer, even when I feel dried up, even when I think there's nothing there. I love what you're saying about kind of almost burning new pathways of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't call it the still small voice for nothing. Right. Doesn't shriek. It's, it's very still and it's very small. It doesn't <laughs> shriek. Exactly right. Now I know we just only have a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you about something you wrote in the book. There are little snippets in this book, Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams, about all different kinds of dreams, and then some really cool work on the different some of the different symbols we have in our dreams, animals and other things we might dream about. You were writing about nightmares and you said, like all scary dreams, the sensation of the dream belies the positive message buried within it. And I marked that because I've had dreams where really scary dreams where I don't think there is a positive message. I think it just scares the living heck out of me and I just, and that's it. So does every dream have really do have a positive message? If I sat with that very scary dream, is there something under there? I believe that with every fiber of my being and how I generally express that besides that very lovely light belies what a big word um, <laughs> I express it like this that dreams are for us they are never against us our soul sings its song to us through our dreams and it can never be doing it in order to punish us or make us feel bad or scare us out of, you know, living more, you know, brilliantly or beautifully. And so I, so let's just call that a sort of a, a, a generalized foundation that, that even a scary dream there has to have some sort of a benefit. Death is a perfect way to illustrate this as an example, because, you know, who isn't a little bit terrified of death? And death seems like a bad thing, especially if it happens in your waking life. But symbolically, built into the idea of death is always the rebirth that follows. Hmm. They are not in, separate. Death and rebirth are part of 
everything that happens in consciousness itself. Every in-breath is followed by an out-breath, where the in-breath is life and the out-breath is death. Every day is followed by night, which is followed by day, and day is life, night is death, and then we are born again when the sun arises. And so in this way, any and every death in a dream is a symbol of change and transformation at such a dramatic level that it's like something dies in order for something else to be reborn. And if you take that one step further to the idea of murder, what is murder but the conscious decision to create a death and symbolically, therefore, the rebirth that will inevitably follow? Now, this is a great juxtaposition of a positive image and a negative actual event. In life, death, bad. Murder, really bad. <laughs> so, but, you know, in the dream landscape, it's a, it's a blessed event. It's saying, what am I looking to change or what is being changed so dramatically in my experience that the best symbol to represent it would be a death or a murder. And so then the dream of death or murder is actually quite beneficial. Even the, the image of the serial killer takes on a beautiful, positive symbology that the serial killer in your dreams is the part of you that is so committed to your change and transformation and your ultimate growth through life that it will periodically pick off different aspects of your personality that are no longer serving <laughs> you, create a murder in the symbolic landscape mm -hmm. in order that something new be, be reborn in its wake. Now, just like in life, the end of the radio show is bad. We know that it leads to another radio show, and I hope that you will, <laughs> I hope that you will come back on, back on the show again. Michael, thank you so much for so spending great. this time with us. Thank you very Happy much. Happy to be here, and anytime I thank will return. You. That is Dr. Michael Lennox. His new book is Llewellyn's Little Book of Dreams. You can find out more about Michael and his work, including his work doing dream interpretation, at michaellennox.com. And, of course, there's always tons of information on my website, karenhager.com. Book, book an intuitive session with me. Find out about new classes and events. Hear what's coming up on the radio show. That's all at karenhager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.